You're listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And we're on the cusp of uh, enjoying the fruits of Seth's hard work with Sweetwater Festival, setting things up for, for something we're a part of. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, something that we're on the leading edge as far as specifically Sweetwater. But first, as always, some thank yous. Thank you, Robert Polay and everyone at Polay Clark. As I mentioned last episode, this is the time of year where people are wrapping up their taxes, right, Seth? And That's looking right. forward. And the day be- we're recording this the day before tax day. Actually, I think it re- gets, re- well, April 14th, typically, right? Yeah, yeah. Is that right? Or 17th? Well, it's ah, the 17th it's if it's on a weekend, so I think they extend it through the... I see, I see. Point being, a lot of people are reassessing their situation at this point. Maybe your accountant has uh, not maybe been attentive enough or uh, done the right thing, or you don't, you, you don't know if things have been done properly, whatever the case may be. Or maybe you're just not comfortable. Maybe yeah. you don't have the relationship. And the thing about Polay and Clark and all of their associates is they really give you that. They give yes. you that relationship. They are. They care. They care. They're on top of everything. They look out for your best interests. Look, they tell a lot of these young artists, don't spend your money, reinvest it, all that sort of thing. That, that, you know, they're very, very hands-on and caring and also fans of this stuff. They're fans of music. And perhaps uh, the, the most salient point, and I know we made this last episode, Polite Clark does not advertise. They do this to support the show. So therefore, we want to humbly say thank you, Polite Clark and... All your and you're welcome to the listeners who choose to heed our advice and go to Polay Clark and find someone that you otherwise wouldn't have found because you're not going to see it in the advertising because the word of mouth is enough for them. So thank you guys for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. And you're welcome to the listeners. Actually, any listeners that do go to them, you should maybe kick the show some money, really, because we're going to, in the long run, your taxes are going to be done better and that's really good for finances. You know, throw some money this way. Right? I'd say we're a nonprofit, but we just have no profit. But you know what else we're a part of, Seth? Osiris. That's right, the Osiris Network. Pod- Osiris Podcast Network. That's O-S-I-R-I-S pod dot com. It's a growing community of cultural and music podcasts uh, done by fans. Some done quite well. We have, uh, we have new ones. We have the female, uh, the new fish podcast done by women. And I know, guys, you were wondering, is this going to be a lot of complaining? Is there going to be, is it going to be, uh, is there going to be nagging involved? I'll tell you what there won't be. Oh, wait on the bathroom line. <laughs> no, folks. This is a really cool podcast done by some women who are dialed into the scene big time and fun-loving and sharp, and you should check it out. Um, Again, OsirisPod.com. Yes. Big thanks to Josh Thane, who's engineering this, and of Wonder Dad, Wonder Dog Sound Studios and Josh Thane Productions. And his band is going to be playing at the Sweetwater 420 Fest. Migrant band, Worker. Migrant Worker. And of course, Harris Sullivan. Sully, Sully's been doing a fantastic job on our social media. And listen, if you got if you're looking to hire someone, don't hire Sully because we need him. But if you have money and you'll still let him work for us, hire, hire him. Hire Sully. <laughs> he'll be good for you. Email us at insideoutwtns at gmail.com. He also, Check us out at insideoutwtns.com for a full list of all of our shows, uh, backtracking all of our catalog. And we even have a photo hidden there of Rob in his underwear. That's a that's called a bonus track. Um, seriously though, bonus track. You don't want to see those tracks. Ooh. I'm so impressed the way Harris is to his girlfriend too. Like last night, another example. I had a free ticket for him for Yola Tango. Ooh, do, 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 do. and he went and and honored a request of his girlfriend to do something else. And I think that's really cool. And and you know we got to hang with her 
when we were backstage with uh, Andre's back and everything, and she's a, she's an awesome woman, so smart. Hang on to her, Harris. So, but speaking of which, Yola Tango is part of one of the three things I want to talk about at the end of the show. Outro talk. Mm-hmm. One will be um, venue, staff, behavior, do's and don'ts. This week, we had two extreme examples. So you're going to talk about it at the end? Yes. Okay, so one. just leave it to the end then. Yes, save it to the end. And then another one is uh, my purging, my videotape things. Uh, hit me with a, a moment of realization, Seth. I want to share that. It stems to Susan Tedeschi. Ooh, speaking of Tedeschi, can I uh, plug yes. the uh, 419 Got a Minute to Give? Yes. 419 Got a Minute to Give. Your auctioneer, actually, folks, your auctioneer, me, Seth Weiner, at Sweetwater 420 Fest. I'm working with all the bands. They all get to choose a charity of their choice, and we're raising money for those charities. Auction items are going to include concert tickets, signed memorabilia, photos, meet and greets. Uh, we even got, like, um, I believe Joe Russo is going to the band, J-Rad. They're going to... You can... For the highest bidder can win uh, having them do a J Radogram where they can do a little video for like your girlfriend wishing her a happy birthday nice. or things like that. So all I mean the stuff you don't have to be at the festival to to win this stuff. Uh, get out your phones right now. Text four twenty fest to two four seven zero zero. So dial two four seven zero zero and then put in the text four twenty F E S T to register. If you're by a computer, it's four twenty fest dot auction hyphen bid dot org so 420 fest dot auction hyphen bid dot org you can register there uh by the time you're hearing this we still have an opportunity thursday on 419 at guess what time rob 420? No. At 419 on 419, we're going to be picking a winner for the official Sweetwater pre-party with String Cheese Incident into the Variety Playhouse. Awesome. So you can pay $20 to put your name in that raffle there. Completely sold out show. Clamored for a ticket. There is just so much. I mean, I can go on and on and on, um, but this is not the auction show. But I really, I'm really excited about this opportunity to raise money for all different charities. Headcounts donated a guitar getting signed by almost all of the artists there. And um, Humphreys McGee donated a guitar. We're going to have that signed just by members of Humphreys. That'll mm-hmm. be a strict Humphreys item. And Maybe get Kevin Browning's signature on there, too, since he really drives the train, doesn't he? There's, we're raising money for Atlanta Music Project, Conscience Alliance, Music in the Park, Atlanta Community Food Bank, uh, Little Kids Rock, Water is Life. I can go on and on. Yeah, Please so check, let's not. Check it out. And then I do want to complete talking about the 420 piece by just previewing just a quick minute about who we're, uh, what's the Osiris and WTNS. As opposed to the long minute that we just had? I'm just kidding. Would you play along? I'm playing along. I'm playing along by pretending to cry, Rob. Oh, my God. (laughs) So not only is this auction going on, but Osiris Network, which is being anchored by yours truly inside out with... Turner. And Seth. But really, you're anchoring it, really. No, I'm anchoring the TV thing in the morning, Buster. (laughs) You're so sour. And I gave you around 20 with 20. I mean, 20 with Turner. I knew you'd still be upset. You can't, I can't please you. I'm not upset at all. I'm looking forward to this. You've done a great job. You're silly. So every day, 12 o'clock to about 12.20, 12.30, this is the morning brew, which is going to be put out by not only the Osiris Network, it's going to be a Facebook Live video uh, that's going to talk about the festival and just introduce an artist that's performing there. The first day, it's going to be, I'll be hosting it, and it's going to be with Taz. On day two, that morning, it's going to be Rob joining me with the band Soja, and then on, that's Saturday. Soja Army. And then on Sunday morning it's going to be some of the boys from green sky bluegrass which rjb from the Osi- founder of osiris network and the helping friendly pod is going to be joining me as well it can't be anders again i'm told the other band members are getting jealous <laughs> well that's right actually it's not anders again you want to know who it is paul nope 
who? It's Bont Duvall and Bruza. So, so you love Bruza. You can come out just to hear his dirty voice. Awesome, yeah. And to tell him he should sing more. And that's not a put down of Paul. He's a wonderful singer. I just don't think Bruce. I just think Bruce is maybe a tad underused. Will you just stand behind us with a sign that says "Bruce, let let Bruce sing"? <laughs> let Bruce sing. And so, going on with that schedule, uh, uh, let's just start by Friday. Friday morning, uh, right after that, we've got a podcast in the hotel. Uh, right across the street from the venue is the Embassy Suites, and there's the boardroom, which is going to be the podcast room. We're going to be hosting a daily podcast from 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock. Everyone's welcome. So, grab a Sweetwater, head across the street. Uh, you don't need a ticket, so if you don't even go to Sweetwater, you still come into it. It's uh, in the hotel right there. Uh, that morning, or afternoon, 2 o'clock, it's the podcast featuring Spafford, uh, the full band talking about their new album. Rob and RJ are going to be hosting that. And then back over at the Festival Grounds in the Experience Tent, it's going to be Breaking Ground Score with Kyle Hollingsworth, who's made, so Kyle, Kyle of String Cheese made this beer called Ground Score with Dean Budnick of Relics Magazine and Sweetwater's head brewer Nick Nock. And then Inside Out's going to be doing a live podcast that afternoon, 515 to 5.45, with Southern Avenue's Orientarini. Actually, it's more Hebrew than that. Rob, wake up. You uh, you're going to be a part of that one. Oh, okay. As long as I know and I can research. And Well, keep it up. Then, of course, that night is the live auction and music trivia, where um, all the Osiris, uh, not all, but several of the Osiris podcasts are making up trivia questions. If you don't have tickets to late night shows, come to this. Yeah, Ira was... Uh, um, Gonna come, and it turns out he wasn't. I'm a little disappointed. I was hoping to meet Ira, but I'm psyched to meet RJ. And who are the others we might meet? Just us. Well, RJB, um, talking about an interview, talking about an RJ episode. RJB, if you, and if you don't know, he runs a Helping Friendly podcast, and he also, along with Tom Marshall, spearheaded this Osiris pod thing. I have great love and admiration for RJB, and we want to shine a line on him for a full episode. And I'll just finish by saying not all this stuff in the Times. You can look online for it, but we've got interviews with Soja. We've got uh, Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters. How about a website people can go and see all this? Inside Out, WTNS. It's all right on com. our site. Yeah, okay. it's right there right now. Well, by the time you listen. And uh, Co- Co- uh, Kebby Williams from um, Tedeschi Trucks. Tedeschi Trucks and so many other projects. He also leads the Atlanta Mardi Gras parade in Kirkwood section of Atlanta, and that's really becoming a thing, and he's a big part of that. I love Kebby for that. I didn't know he did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And that night, Saturday night from 8 to 8.30 during the set break of uh, Tedeschi and Trucks, we're doing a 420 feud with Soja, so the family feud, but with members of Soja, and if you want to play against them, you pay 20 bucks, put your name in a hat. Uh, proceeds going to Water is Life. That next day on Sunday, the last day, like I mentioned, Green Sky, we're doing Arshna from Bojanic. She's doing a curry jam where you can also put your entry name into a raffle to play against, uh, not play, excuse me, to learn how to make an Indian dish taught by Arshna with Sister Sparrow. So that's kind of cool, right? Mm. Uh, and yeah. I'm getting time with Sister Sparrow at some point, aren't I? They've yeah. reached out about... Yes, they did reach out, but they... Um, they're doing something else? Well, they're doing the curry jam, but then they're just... She just had a baby, and she's not really hanging that much. Let's not gloss over the curry jam thing real quick, because we had dinner with Carl before the show, and Archana was with us, and her husband, Aaron, found some of the original curry jams, which the colonel is on one of those. And we interviewed Archana already. Yes, we did. Can well, I throw something at you? I mentioned this. this yeah, go for it. Is, this is what I would like to do. I, I would like an Archana episode that's part of our interview, and, and I get access to those curry jams and get to lift some things out of it. And then we make a whole arch in the thing. You want to do that? An arch in a tweener. Is that, are, you, are you for real? 
Yeah, that Curry Gym. I've talked to her about the Curry Gym. Well, when do you want unique. To... You know, I like unique shows, and she's a sharp woman. I'm sure. So would that be a? What would, would that be a Tolly Tweener? <laughs> okay, we could do that. Tamarin Tweener. It's a Tamarin. All right, folks. Inside Out WTNS at well, rather Inside Out Please check the schedule of our activities going on. And like I said, it's not just us. Osiris Network. Come by the time you're listening to this too. If you sign up for Osiris, Rob, you know about the contest? You even know what contest we're doing that weekend? Uh, the tickets for... Bonnaroo. The, we're, yes. Signing up for the Osiris newsletter is going to enter you in for a chance to win a pair of tickets to Bonnaroo and Lockin and possibly another festival. So we'll be... Oh, in, my God. Both? It's, uh, it's, the whole idea is your summer on Osiris. One festival a month, a pair of tickets. We're going to be picking a winner. And also, we're going to be second runner-up. But runner-up's going to win a signed copy of Rift signed by Tom Marshall. You know, that summer on Osiris thing, I, I'd go for that myself. Osiris wants to send me those festivals. I'm all about it. What third festival might that be? Gee, what other major festival is this summer? That Did you Osiris remember to feed the goldfish? Huh? Do you remember to feed the goldfish? Oh, hey, watch out for that baseball. I hear they throw a mean curveball. On that note, who's our guest? No, 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 no. Hang on. And the third thing I'll talk about in the outro is the oh my god the two shows <laughs> did I step over you in the second I'm yeah, so sorry isn't it odd how used to that I am you do um, really well the third would be uh, two shows that the Carl Denson I just mentioned uh, he did the uh, bucket of peaches here in Atlanta and actually the tour kicked off he had done previous shows but this was the first of this tour and uh, and also Yola Tango last night I got to say something about them in the outro but yes we sit down with Dave Watts who like myself has history in Boston in the 90s he skedaddled out of Boston around the time I did he yeah. when you were parking the cars he was moving the, to the bars but he had a band called Shaka back then we talk about that because they were in the same circles as Fish and so forth no pun intended but I really think you did shock him a little bit on your knowledge there and uh, the motet has gone through some recent changes. We went through the, the, the intricacies of that and um, talked about a bunch of other stuff. What a great guy. Well, yeah, he's really, really, really nice guy. I love that. I love the motet, but I also love, I love old motet. I love new motet. I thought it was interesting that he had an attitude similar to what a lot of more avant-garde artists have is that the older material is done. Yeah, I noticed that too. And I was like, I was kind of like, wait, Okay, but I have a unique idea of how to, to, to segue to the interview. This is a one-time thing. Oh, I like it. You're well, telling because me. Our, my friend Richard Paul has allowed us to sit in his house. He's a very good friend of mine, very very supportive friend, personally, and uh, kind of supportive of the show. I don't even think he such listens, a good man. Such a good man. Not only is his first, he has two first names. You, you, could, you could honor him just by opening that door, and we could, we could get a sense. You have to give it a good push. Now you turn it, yep, and push hard. And now, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? Oh, well, I was hoping for more. Wow, this is such great radio. Yeah, Birdie usually freaks out, but you just got here, so she got... Who's that, Birdie? Who's that, Birdie? Come on. Come on. The one You're time, listening to... The one time I wanted to be loud and she's quiet. <laughs> Whatever, Richard Well, Wow, with all this excitement, folks, I'm glad you're sticking around. Without further ado, it's... But thank you for letting us use your apartment to cut this segment. Please enjoy, from the Motet and so many other bands, Mr. Dave Watts.
Well, as Rob would say, we're sitting backstage here at the Variety Playhouse in lovely Atlanta, Georgia, where it's a crisp 56 degrees tonight. Yes, we've done so many interviews here. I told Lisa, who works at the Variety, we're going to write the name of the program and magic marker on the wall is one of these. But <laughs> today we are with a, a great man, another great man with Boston oh, and his history, a drummer and band leader for the band The Motet, Mr. Dave Watts. Thank you, sir. Yeah, welcome. welcome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And there's plenty to talk about with Motet recently. We, we like to talk about some recent things and then jump into the Wayback Machine and talk about it. Oh, okay. So. But yeah, Catharsis yeah. is a new thing with you. Yeah, man. That's a little side project I put together in Colorado with Todd Stoops and uh, Chuck Jones from Double Pod. Chuck, here tonight. Double Pod's here opening. Yeah, exactly. And um, Marcus. Uh, Marcus Rizek. He's a great guitar player. He lives out in L.A. Uh, he's in L.A., so we don't play that often. We got the opportunity to record this summer, and we're still sort of compiling the tracks from that. But where'd you guys record? Uh, there's a there's a recording studio up in the mountains outside of Boulder called Mountain Star Studios. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous spot, just kind of like lose yourself in the woods for a few days and get weird. Speaking of Boulder, are you still living in Netherlands? No, I never knew, lived in Netherlands. No, I thought no, no. We I used to play up there quite a bit. They've got a, a pretty cool scene. I thought about living there. I moved to Lyons, which is north of town. Okay. Um, which has also got a great music scene in the acoustic genre. Uh, a lot of bluegrass players up there. But uh, I've since moved back to Boulder. I love Boulder. And when you got um, when you got to Colorado and started the Motet, was the fact that it's a polyphonic form of Renaissance music anything to do <laughs> with choosing the name? You know. Every now and then we get a request, but we have yet to fill that, you know, <laughs> ability to play um, actual motets. People don't, I mean, a lot of people don't realize that that's a form of music. Right. Would you say polyphonic what? Yeah, a form of Renaissance music. Yeah, there's also the vocal <laughs> composition, the whole thing, yeah. but that really doesn't that would be apply. a good challenge. We've, we've definitely challenged ourselves with different genres, but. But you like if Richie Blackmore ever said, and you could do some Renaissance music with him. <laughs> that would be great. Richie Blackmore and the motet yeah. do Renaissance yeah, music. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it's just a very, very interesting. I know it's been almost two years now, but you guys went through an interesting transition. Yeah. Just as you would reach your peak, too, in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. You guys were just slamming yeah. on the road. Right. And your previous singer... Um, <clears throat> say, say how you want to say it, Rob. I know, because I mispronounced uh, Redman's name intentionally on the last interview, and so Oops. now we had a lot of fun with that. So he wants me to mispronounce Jans's name. Jans. Yeah, we get Jans. <laughs> we get Jans a lot. Yeah, but he wasn't Jans. Jans, right? That's what Seth uh, informed me because I do all my research by uh, reading, so I get (laughs) I get pronunciations wrong sometimes. Um, but yeah, you guys. uh, I mean, like Rob said, though. I mean, the band was. You guys were slamming, slamming. Yeah. and you, and you, you, <laughs> you always you feel that, that like it's, it's you know from the inside out it's always just like continually working you're not necessarily thinking about where you are on the path otherwise you get sort of distracted you know you kind of have to just see yourself as like in the moment where you are you're just working but you were on a wave at that point though yeah yeah and you were in the studio oh, yeah. Yeah. working on a new record that, well that yeah that was a little complicated um yeah, we had we had actually recorded, you know, probably like eight songs, and but didn't have vocals for them yet. But that was a perfect audition for for Lyle, you know. In fact, that's how we knew Lyle was the guy because we sent him these tracks, and he sent them back like done. 
And this was before he had even played with you on stage? Yeah, before I'd even met the guy. He was like, we were like, so wait, oh my God, this is ridiculous. What's on that album is stuff that was recorded before he actually ever played with yeah, you? Yeah, I don't know how it happened. <laughs> that's I pretty, mean, literally, that's a pretty we cool like, fact. the rhythm section played these tunes, and we kind of arranged them for vocals, even though we didn't have vocals. And, um, and we're like, well, the, the, track, the first track I sent, we were thinking... Let's just toss this one because it's probably not going to make sense. You know, we couldn't figure it out. We didn't have vocals. And we were like, you know, we probably should just, you know, throw it away and, and, and look at some other stuff. And, you know, I was just like, you know, let's give it a shot. I'm going to send it to Lyle. We had just started talking to him and he, he expressed interest. And so I sent it to him and I said, you know, can you write anything for this? Any melodies or, or lyrical ideas come to mind? And three days later... We had the whole track done, vocals, harmonies, everything, lyrics. It was incredible. Mm. You know? And it's just like, okay. And we still play that song today. It's the first track on the record. So the Turquoise guys t- told you about him first, right? Yeah. What yeah. We- yeah, we, we, uh, we were, you know, Joey was uh, sort of being proactive about it. We're good friends with the Turquoise guys. Um, Lyle actually married, as in officiated the marriage between... Dave and Danny, uh, oh. lead singer and his wife, and um, and of course they're just smitten with him. He's a great dude and, and not just an amazing musician, but a, a great personality. And so they just, you know, the highest recommendations coming. Not from just them. his pipes, but for compositional. Yeah, yeah. They were aware of stuff he had written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. There's a lot. Well, there's a lot go that goes into having someone be a part of a band. You know what I mean? There's all these factors that could train wreck a relationship. You know, it's like he might be a great singer, but might not be a great performer. There's a lot of guys that can really sing, but then, you know, don't necessarily know how to work a crowd. Right. Um, or they might just be a total, like, you know, pain in the ass on the road. You just don't know, you know? And that's, that's, that's the big <laughs> thing. And you guys have, you've gone through changes throughout the years with the Motet have bringing in new players. Uh, right, you but you've never used rehearsal that much, thing. right? Well, it's, yeah. I mean, the past, it's been like that. We're trying to, we're trying to rehearse more, but it's hard to rehearse when you're on the road and all the time, you know? Squeezing the end when you get home, you kind of want to. No, but I mean the the uh, uh, tryout rehearsals with with band. Oh, you mean like auditions? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what the word. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> you yes. never you never really auditioned, guys. You've kind of known. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. You know, it's I auditions are the worst. It's like the worst thing to like sit there and you know, especially with people you you just random people. You know, I've done that. It's just a nightmare. Um, you know. No offense to singers, but there's a lot of crazy singers out there. You know, there's just a lot of just like a lot of pers- ego with singers yeah, too, uh, weird know. personalities. Uh, Would you so say drummers you and singers to- clash the most? <laughs> Actually, there's there seems to be drummers and female singers. I don't know, maybe maybe male singers too. But there's seems to be a lot of relationships built between drummers and singers. Yeah, yeah. While and I are, are in that you know contention, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's uh. <laughs> Uh, it, yeah, I think there is there is a bonding between drumming and singing. That's kind of the root of the music, right? The rhythm and the melody, you know. Um, but uh, we didn't we didn't audition anybody. Lyle was the first dude. He was the first guy. We like considered some people, you know, like we saw some people online singing or whatever. But Lyle, like once he sent us back tracks that were done, yeah, you know what I mean. It's like. Psh, 
Did you send them to anyone else? When you say done, like, to anyone else, and and did you hear anyone else on those tracks, or was just like that's just like the one stop shop, and boom, that was it. that's amazing. He had produced a track with all the instruments and everything, or just no. We like I said, we written. we had the tracks done. We recorded it. They're just sitting there. We weren't even sure if they were vocal tunes. We're like, does this? What kind of melody does this need? And, and I wanted to ask you about that too. How, how obvious is it when a song needs a vocal and, and a lyric, and and to what it, to what extent can that get contentious in the band? Yeah, I mean, uh, I usually start out knowing, or at least trying to go one direction or the other. Um, so we, I, you know, we haven't gotten into a situation where we're kind of like going down the road of having vocals and then scrapping it and doing it instrumental. Uh, maybe that happens at a certain point, you know. But um, I think that most of the time you kind of start out knowing which direction you're going in, you know. But it's an interesting thing for us. I think a lot of bands, uh, the songwriting comes from one person or each song comes from one person, even if there's multiple songwriters. But we tend to collaborate as a band, which can get pretty, um, there can be a lot of back and forth. You know, it can be a very slow process. And that's been the last 10 years or so, right? And initially, you pretty much wrote everything, right? Yeah, or I, would, or I would arrange other people's stuff. Or, you know, someone would bring a song in and that would be their song. You know, but I think for the most part, I was, I was writing and arranging. The last two records have been collaborations, band collaborations. Um, and that's been over the last five years. You know, that's where the band really kind of went in this direction that we're in now or it's more funk oriented and song oriented material mm-hmm. but I'm fascinated by those first name days with Lyle though so do, yeah. you, do you go into the studio first or do you play the stuff live first well uh, what happened was we recorded these songs over the span of like eight months we had all this material we basically sent it to Lyle he was demoing it with all you know with, with all his vocal tracks and we we're, you know, basically approving everything because it all was just crushing. And then we sent them to New Orleans with Eric Krasno. They went down to the Parlor Studios. I don't know if you know that spot. That's Matt Grondin's spot. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and for the listeners, Eric uh, produced the entire project, right? Eric did, yeah. Um, so uh, they went down to New Orleans, and, and Lyle recorded the whole thing. We had uh, Nigel Hall come in and sing backgrounds on, on one track. So... What's it like to walk on stage with all this new material for the first time? And where was it? What was that like? Uh, oh, it's been great. I mean, six months after he, like less than six months, like three, three or four months after he wrote all this stuff, we were playing it live at Red Rocks. Hmm. Was you that know? The, first, the, the one you released? Yeah, but and that, that became f- a live record. So it's, it's kind of amazing how quickly it all manifests. Yeah. Um, That's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's, you know, it's an affirmation that, you know, we're doing the right thing at least. And this is a hardworking band, Rob. Just to give you an idea how hardworking these guys are, just yeah. to jump around here for a second. You mentioned Red Rocks. Well, last year, last summer, you know, a couple months back here, when we were at Candler Park and you guys performed Candler Park Festival here in Atlanta, the right. night before Candler Park, you guys headlined Red Rocks. And that's <laughs> a big thing to do because that's a hometown gig. It's not just Red Rocks, but that's right. a hometown gig. So that is uh, some serious discipline in, in your organization <laughs> to be able to say, okay, we're going to go ahead and take this gig in, yeah. in Atlanta, which yeah. means, you know, if anyone knows anything about after a show and a hometown no gig, you just, yeah, it's <laughs> sleep on the plane. So that I, I, I've got a lot yeah. of um, appreciation oh, in, thanks, man. in what you were able to do, and I think yeah. it was a 
Talk about the decision, though. I mean, how how does that work to be able to say, okay, you know, I mean, the bands, well, yeah, Atlanta's a good play, but we'll do it we, another time versus to, to really do that. Just, I mean, honestly, it's not a hard decision. It's like we want to play. You know, if there's a gig on the books, you know, and we can do it, if we can physically manifest a show, we'll probably do it. You know what I mean? It's just... We love to play music, and we don't want to turn down an opportunity, especially a great gig like that. It wasn't like a club gig, and you know, something we could have found at another point. It's like a it's a good festival. You know, it's it's here tonight. You'll see the rewards of that, though, because you were able to be exposed to a, a greater crowd on that event, and now right. uh, I guarantee the numbers tonight will reflect that. Yeah, I mean, we have to hope, right? That's it's all you can do is try and and try and push it as much as you can, and. And hope that it all starts to slowly build on itself, you know. It's come a long way since 2000, that's for sure. <laughs> Our first show together. Do you remember that? That I was do. like in um, Tallahassee. Tallahassee. It was, cow, was, it was still the cow house at that time. The cow house. I knew it was something like that. I knew it was an animal. Yeah, you guys I was came like, rolling. Like a zebra bar. <laughs> yeah, you got, and you guys came rolling in, stinky as can be from Jazz yeah. Fest. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we had a bus and we didn't get hotel rooms, so we, we, we were a little. We put, a little we, we put you in the cul-de-sac. We're just smelling intimate. Yeah, we're a little raw back then. But that's uh, that's when that's when the sound though. You still were doing a lot of the Cuban sounds. You had Scott yeah. and Jans with you, and you yeah, guys yeah, would all bring yeah. out the uh, the, the Cuban bata, and, the, and, the, and the, um, the we had these uh, African dun dun drums, and we'd bring them out into the audience and walk around. Do you miss that element though, without Scott? Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. I'm, you know, I would love to have percussion again. Hopefully, at some point, we uh, we did some shows um, at the Ogden a few weeks ago, and we had. Um, our friend Jeff Franca. Oh yeah, we just interviewed you know him. Jeff? Yeah. Oh, you really? Yeah. Congo Sanchez. So he came out and played percussion with us all night, and it was killer. He's yeah. a, a, a as we said in the Adam interview, um, he's a drummer who's always pushing drummers to compose. Right. I didn't even think the fact that we. Why yeah. did that dawn? Now we've had three this, drummers who compose. This yeah, is great. Dad and and our last three interviews have been drummers. Yeah. Really? <laughs> We're really getting a drummer. <laughs> well, really who was the third one? Uh, yesterday was Adam Deitch and then oh, Deitch was okay, cool was he here? yeah he was here last night over at Terminal West with uh, the well, break, uh, signs. break signs oh killer All right. but let's get back to the presence because Drew Sayers <laughs> is, a, is a big part of the new motet as well on yeah. and off stage right? <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. did, you, did you were you drawn to him for his production skills as much as his musicianship? well I mean really it was um, the fact that he's Garrett's brother was the you know the main reason why we're like oh did his mother call you? Do you think you have room for uh, one more? I don't think. Band? I don't think she was happy about it. <laughs> she didn't want to lose her another son to the to Colorado. <laughs> but you know, it, it it's his family basically comes on tour now when we go to the East Coast, which is awesome because his mom and dad are like the most supportive, mm. just the like the happiest people in the audience. It's amazing. But it's yeah. production skills, musicianship, and nepotism. Then is, is yeah. why. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of that. Yeah. No, it, it's all. It's been great having. It's a, it's a family affair. It's you know, it's a. It's you, you, you have to cover that every night now. Whenever they're there, it's a family. Affair. Yeah, we haven't done that yet. It's a good idea. And when they, yeah, when his parents walk in the room, we just bust into it. Yeah, no, they invite us over for um, for dinner, you know, and and breakfast whenever we're in Connecticut. So it's it's pretty awesome. And he was in John Brown's Body. Remember them? He was? Yeah. One of the most yeah, authentic yeah, reggae bands. Yeah, he did a lot of production with them and, and a lot of the writing for their own section. Anticipate Feeling the temptation You want some liberation Keep it up uh, Accept 
Way to go in the wayback machine, Seth. Because back in my Boston days, there was a band that I used to see who I just learned from Tony Hume is reuniting. What? Oh. Called Chakra. Oh, I've heard of them. They're pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> what? I should how? go to that. <laughs> yeah, in, in Boulder, which is strange because they were a New England band, but they're reuniting in Boulder because I guess a bunch of them live out there now. Yeah, well, two of us live out there. Two of you? Two but of if, it, if it's a hit, you'll bring it to New England, right? Fine time? Yeah, we've already been propositioned. For I'm that. sure. Is Paradise even still open now, Paradise? What's yeah. That? Yeah. Paradise yeah. is. That Middle or, East uh, is. Middle East? Oh. Is it Middle is East? It? I think it is. I saw somebody was yeah. recently playing there. What was the place in Jamaica Plains, though, that you guys yes. used to play all the time? Oh, my God. That was like that your was Jamaica Plains? Yeah, Jamaica Plains. And was there it was on a there? corner. You used to rip the crap was out it, of it. Was it like a little Irish bar or something? I mean, uh, how do you say Irish in, in Bostonian? <laughs> Irish been too long. Irish. Dr. Kaish. What are your memories of Boston? What are the best and worst things about the Boston music scene, Dave Watts? Oh, man. Well, I mean, I don't know anymore because it's been so long. I, mean, I haven't been in Boston for 25 years. Were you Berkeley um, or just living in Boston? Start there. I went. I went to Berkeley, and then uh, and I stayed there for an extra four years, I guess, after I graduated, and um, graduated in quotations. <laughs> no one actually seems like graduates, but uh, yeah, I stayed in Boston and Chakra. I joined this band Chakra, and we had this cool band house. And we where was that? Have, it was in Newton. Uh, Charles Bank Road in Newton. There used to be a hotel that went over the highway called the Sheraton Terra Hotel. Yeah, yeah, you know I know exactly spot? where that is. Okay. So right around the corner, we had this killer piece of crap falling apart band house. That was the best thing ever. It was just magic. And we'd go there. I would go there, you know, to parties and whatnot. Eventually, I moved there. There was, um, I think, four of us in the band living there. The train ran like... Ten feet from my bedroom window, you know, <laughs> people will come over and be like, "What the hell is that?" The whole place is rumbling. I wouldn't even notice it because you know you get used to it. And then the highways right there, so it was loud all the time. So we could play it all, you know. Some homeless guy. But the sun comes up. Get me a socks. Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't tell the difference between the homeless and, and friends, you know. <laughs> At that point in our, <laughs> I guess I can't tell the difference with him either. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Who were some of the musicians that hung out, uh, come to your parties and stuff like that? Oh, well, it was pretty notorious for having a lot of different um, guys in the scene back then. But when I first uh, joined the band, Fish was, you know, playing at the Paradise at that point. So when they would finish the shows, they'd come over and come and hang and play with us. We had a, at least two or three parties with those guys. And then we went up to their 
spot up in uh like fishman had a house up in outside of burlington and, and we played at some parties up there and they would come sit in with us up at katie churchill's in burlington uh so there was a cool connection back then it was there weren't jam bands back then there was no one even heard of that word before right it was just like i don't know what music <laughs> Just bands just played at that club called Wetlands. I don't know. It was my yeah. Zappa friends who were more really more into fish than my dead friends back then. Oh yeah, that makes sense. That's what I always. They were they were they felt. were uh, raising the bar for sure at that point. You know, in a lot of different ways, the way they were able to grassroots grow their scene in all these creative ways. They so bust people in for the, from Vermont. They, yeah, they would bust. They would get a school bus or whatever and fill up. Because the Paradise used to friends. not book them. Did you have problems getting the Paradise when you guys were booking? Yeah, we didn't play till till later in our in our career there at the Paradise. We would play a few different places. Middle East. Uh, there was a place called Night Stage in Cambridge. I used to love Night Stage. Jacks. Um, Tt the Bears. Tt the Bears. Yeah. I think they closed recently. That was a cool spot. Um, God, I don't know what this place in Jamaica Plain is you're talking uh, yeah, about. Yeah, it's killing me. I don't remember the name, but was it like a um, like a PAC, like a performing arts center or something? No, like that? there was a, was a bar. I mean, John Brown's body used to play there all the time. It was a too. bar, huh? Yeah, yeah. You remember the Plow and the Stars? Oh yeah, that was in Cambridge too, right? Yeah, that was like the. the, the I mean, anybody would play there. Yeah, I mean, you never know who you're gonna see there. Yeah, and I think G Love came through there. Yeah, I played with G Love there. Did you? Yeah, I was friends with I was friends with the bass player. I am friends with the bass player, but I was became friends with him, Jim Prescott, in like 1985. I was in my I just uh, started school. Hair. I had long hair, uh, semi long, got longer. Uh, but uh, I just started school uh, at BU, and I was in the dorm, and I had this practice pad kit, some cymbals. And I was playing, you know, on my practice pad kit in the dorm, and he could hear me. And so he came up, knocked on the door. I thought I was getting in trouble, and he's like, "Join my band. We got a gig at the at the dorm uh, talent show." I was like, "Really? First gig? First gig in Boston?" So like, we played the the dorm talent show. Did you win? Uh, I think we did. All yeah, right, a proud moment. Surprise Smart moment. Norm. So we were in a band for a minute. He got kicked out of the band, but we won't talk about that. It got a little messy. Got a little messy with Jimmy, Jimmy Jazz. But um, I've known him forever. And then, all right, here's a little story. Uh, um, G Love was considering joining Chakra when we were learning our wow. new. When we were losing our singer, we were looking for. A, speaking of auditions, we went through crazy auditions and that kind of. Is that where you convinced me that auditions were not worth you know? Doing. That's where you developed your aversion yes, for them. Yeah. Exactly, but um, but Garrett, G Love uh, was was considering actually joining Chakra. I was like, I don't. I think you got your own thing going on, man. I think you're doing fine. <laughs> hey, Dylan wanted to be in the Dead. You just never know. Yeah, right. <laughs> any mem- any other memories of the Fish guys? Then did you uh, did you get to know any of them that- very well, or was it just? Uh, I mean, no, it was brief, kind of, you know. You know, having these cool late night connections, you know how those are. They're always a little blurry. It's a little blurry, but um, I, you know, I just remember going to their house. They were used to rehearse, and I think it was like Trey's living room in this little house in the suburbs outside of Burlington. And they had just gotten a picture of Nectar uh, on a 
what was it a CD or an album? I don't know. No one had seen it yet. And so we were just checking it out and kind of the first to see this album. And they were still like not that big, but everyone knew they were kind of on the rise. So it was, it was kind of exciting to be a part of that scene. Right. But I don't think any of us bit. expected them to become the jam world behemoth that they became. No, no, I, I thought it might've been a phase because their music was so sort of weird. I was surprised that they were as popular as they, they were. But once I went to a show, because I had you know just heard recordings. Once I went to the shows, I you know, that's when I got it. It's like okay, these guys really know how to include the audience in their show. You know what I mean? Like those, they went out of their way to make sure that the audience felt like they're part of the show and they are like in on it. You know, even with like the secret language stuff and you know just knowing the songs really well. These sort of complex songs and all the changes that were coming. You could tell that the audience had a connection that was deeper than most bands out there. And like Colonel Bruce says, women in the front row singing along with the songs. Yeah. You see it with Moon Taxi these days. It's a good feeling. Yeah. Speaking of a band that's on the rise. <laughs> um, there was a, a bassist friend of mine named Ross Daysmont. I don't know if you remember that name. But he used to bring me on the other side of Beacon Street. There was a house once a week where it was all musicians and all jamming. You didn't get in on any of that. It was like the basement over right right near Com Ave. You don't remember any of that? On Beacon Street? Yeah, between Beacon and Com Ave. Like one of those little side streets. It's a a, like four-story, and we would take over the basement. Oh, really? None of that? There's quite a few of those. What about Wally's Cafe? You have any experiences there? Wally's, I just went there recently. It's awesome to know it's still still there. Same old Wally's. Um, But I had my first jazz gig there. I got my butt kicked. It was like pretty intense experience. But yeah, I think I was a freshman at at Berkeley. And of course, Wally's has this rep as like the jazz club that Tony Williams played at. Right. All these you know, guys got cut their teeth, you know. And, um, so I got asked to to do a, a gig there on like a Tuesday night or something. And back then, that was a it was a pretty rough neighborhood. Like now, I think things are a little more gentrified and, and a little. In that area. Chill in that area. But back then, it was like you didn't want to walk around the streets alone. You wanted to have a buddy, you know. And so I I had my drums. I had to bring my drums down. I had to get a cab, bringing my drums into the venue. You know, it was a little little intimidating at that point. I remember some chick goes in the bathroom, then walks out and, like, passes out on the floor because she just shot up with heroin. I was like, man, this is... (laughs) And are you thinking... Think of it. Are you thinking in the back of your head, anybody could walk in and see what I'm doing tonight? It could be Bradford Marsalis? Or- yeah, well, no, it wasn't quite like that. I mean, I, I suppose it could have been, but they, you know, we, we did this gig, and uh, I'm playing with all these you know, sort of um, higher-ups in the Berkeley scene, so it was already intimidating, but it was fun. But no bass player showed up, so it was me and a horn player and a keyboardist, or maybe it was a guitar player, and... So that just added to you know to the sort of intensity of the scene, and so when we first started out, I was just like sweating, you know, it's just like, oh my god, what have I got myself into? But by the end of the night, there was like twenty five horn players all in line. This is what they would do: is like there'd be like horn players all in the line, and all these Berkeley kids, and they'd come up and blow like four or five choruses, and then they'd get in the back of the line, they just go in a circle, and you'd be up there and playing one tune for an hour, you know. Huh. Just swinging, yeah, it was, it was awesome. And do some of them chime in bass lines to kind of help make up for the lack of? <laughs> you know, you just gotta, you just gotta make do. It's <coughs> part of jazz, right? It's like improvisation. So yeah. we, we figured it out. All right, walk us through the decision to leave Boston. What? what how, how did you 
choose that and what because mm. i know in boston the music scene i never really got into the flow of it i i love music and it seems like an insular scene that's produced amazing music i was wondering if that was any part of your decision and uh, why colorado well, we used to, uh, the thing about Boston, there's just so many uh, musicians, so many teachers and students. It's hard to make a living. You know, these guys will play a gig because they're making a living or they're in school, they're making a living teaching. They're not concerned about the bread. So, you know, most gigs were like 50 bucks, you know, and it was just hard to make a living and there was a lot of competition. So to make a living back then, you'd had a tour. <laughs> You know, if you weren't in a certain niche, you know, a clique or whatever, you'd had a tour. So, Chakra started touring, and we were doing pretty well for ourselves, but we'd get to Colorado, and I was just like, man, this scene is happening, you know? Like, our first show, in fact, our first uh, tour in Colorado, Fish let us use their mailing list. Oh, really? And back in those days, if you had a mailing list... You had a like leg up on the competition, you know, like and back then mailing lists meant you're taking stamps and you're sticking them on a postcard <laughs> and you're like, got this, you know, you're printing out all the like the addresses. Right. I mean, it was a pain it was work. in the ass, it but was it work. was like if you did it, you had a leg up, you know, you weren't having to take out ads in the paper or whatever. So. So we and would have like these. It, like, Look, the band's writing me. They really want me to come. Yeah, exactly. And we, we would have these mailing list parties. We invite our friends sense? over. We'd invite all our friends over, and we'd buy them a bunch of beer. And, and then, then by the end of the night, everyone's just like, I can't talk at you. I'm licking the stamps. Yeah, that was before the, the stamps were yeah, sticky, right. man. You had to lick the things. <laughs> it was brutal. So anyway, we we did all that, and we went out to Colorado, the first store, and. And we sold out the Fox Theater. It was packed out, you know. And that was like the second show they second national act played. Their first national act was the Meters. Um, you know, and we had a killer time. Like we went out there, and the snow was good, and we ended up playing like four nights in a row at the Fly Me in the Moon Saloon and in um, Telluride. We played in Durango. We played in um, Steamboat. You know, and back then it was like you didn't have cell phones. You know, so you go on tour, and you were just lost on tour. You know, you you wouldn't call anybody or talk to anybody at home, and so it was kind of like you're in another world, you yes, know, like another dimension. Nice. You could really, like, it was magical, you know, you especially vacate. for 20-something. Yeah, vacate, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it was like well, That's interesting perspective, classic. though. That's something that, you know, I, I, I guarantee most people don't think about it. No. Right. Oh, my God, man. I mean, now you... Think about going on tour and not having a cell phone with GPS on it. You'd, you'd actually have to talk to your a, people in your bus. What's that? <laughs> you'd actually have to talk to your bandmates on the yeah, bus. Yeah, exactly. And you have to look at a map and open the pages oh, and the like, maps. then find like the city map within the you know the <laughs> state map and then look around and yeah. actually figure out where Is the hell you're box? going. Oh, wait, that's that box. Oh, there's. I mean, the we box. had a, quite a few like band like almost breakups because of like fighting over like how the map worked, <laughs> trying to get to the gig. You know, it was, it was just. It had different challenges, but it also had like a certain air of like you know mystery and magic that was really fun. And looking forward to touring, you know, you just you just be in tour world and and um, but it, you know it's a pain in the butt too. You had to get on a cell or a payphone to call your manager to figure out what time you're supposed to be at the next gig. You know that kind of thing. It was mm-hmm. very inconvenient, but it was 
it was like its own thing. So we we when that first tour we went out there, I was like, you know, I was bitten with the bug of to like to be in a touring band forever, you know, because that was. Did you think about talking, trying to talk them into relocating the band out there? Yeah, I knew it wasn't going to happen, but briefly, I think I did. I was like telling the guys, "Hey, this would be a great place to raise kids," or you know, being in Boulder. Um, but I knew that the rest of the band didn't want to move out there. So eventually, it was just like I got to get out of Boston. I mean, it was really more like lifestyle issues than it was musical issues, as far as wanting to relocate. You know, because I just love. Colorado and and you can in Colorado the winter is fun you can be outside in the winter and get exercise in Boston it's like you know five six months of gray and cold and the snow turns black in the winter time you know it's just like uh, I just I had enough after a certain point, so that was really the main reason. Plus, in the late nineties, the sports fan and he's like, and these teams never win championships either. So what about your first days in Colorado? How do you ease your way into the fertile music scene that is uh, well, Colorado? It wasn't quite like it is now. Now it's just over the top, you know, especially Denver. I mean, back then Denver was nothing. But what I really enjoyed about Boulder, it was, it was a tight-knit community, you know, and people wanted and still want to play. It's not so they're not so concerned about the money and, you know, the gig and, and, you know, what it all means, it's, it was more about let's play. So I would just call up my friends or I'd call up guys I never met before and be like, hey, do you want to jam? We found this uh, cool, funky house on four acres of land just outside of town. And it had all these outbuildings. And uh, somehow we managed to land this property. We called it Double Dig and because we had this farm, you know, farm we had like a you know big garden uh and so we did a lot of you know growing of you know just vegetables or whatever being sort of hippies on the land there and uh and we managed to get all these musicians to to move in including some of the string cheese guys um tony Furtado lived there uh, tony. Been there in a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's been holding up in the the west coast for quite a while um bunch of the local musicians would come and go I mean, it was kind of it was kind of a hippie commune i gotta admit but it was fun we had a really great scene there had a couple outbuildings where you could play music so there'd be rehearsals for different projects going on in three different places on the property you know um and that's really how i started my scene in in colorado we had this place and I was calling up guys like let's let's jam, you know. Ty North, do you know Ty? Mm-hmm. Sure. Plays with uh, or played with Leftover Salmon for a number of years, and um, and so he and I played a bunch out there. Um, and then when does it start to become the motet? Well, I had a few different projects at first, but uh, I landed a gig uh, Halloween, I think, nineteen ninety eight, for the Mountain Sun Brewery. They used to have these. Um, these Halloween parties and they would brew mushroom beer. Hmm. So like, it was just, you can imagine the, the mayhem. And I threw together this band and we were doing like acid jazz, taking jazz tunes and, and funkifying them and turn them into dance cuts. And, um, and so that was the first gig. I didn't have a name. So I was just like, I'll just call it the Dave Watts Motet. And that was our first gig. Totally different band members than, than mm-hmm. now, of course. 
and it's evolved. I mean, you've had a bunch through the years, yeah. right? Yeah. So then, when did yeah. you pick up and uh, do the the Cuban? Um, okay. Stuff? Yeah. Battles with Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Once I added Scott in, I mean, I wanted to have percussion. Chakra didn't have a percussionist, but I moved out to Colorado and I was like, started to get into, you know, the thought of having percussion as part of uh, whatever projects I was in. Were you listening to Cuban jazz at the time? Well, Scott kind of turned me on to all that. And so he, and there was like an Afro-Cuban scene in, in, in Boulder at that point. So we would play for these dance classes and we would get Cuban guys to come in and teach uh, dance and, and songs and, and drumming. We we got really into bata, which is um, the drumming of Santeria, Cuban Santeria. And we even went to um, Cuba twice. Really? Yeah. And this was To before, study it. This was before it was open. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely closed. We had to sneak our way in. Did you try to sneak anybody out with you? <laughs> we didn't sneak you. Meet a good out. saxophone player and just like did, put him uh, under your coat. No, but I, I did get some uh, some items from from ceremony, and it definitely freaked out the uh, the customs people coming back. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because for ceremony, you know, you, they they literally will break the head of a chicken off and pour the blood over whatever um, you know things that you're bringing into the ceremony that they want to bless. And so uh, I had some items that had like blood on them, and they were just like freaking out, like voodoo. They like yeah. couldn't they couldn't handle it. <laughs> I ended up getting it back though. I got all my stuff back. I bought some bata while I was there, and uh, brought some Cuban cigars back. You know, still got those. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Went to those pretty quick. Um, but yeah, it was great. Going to Cuba at that point was amazing because it was you know it was dark. You know, like literally like at night there's no lights. You know, you're used to seeing lights in the city here, and like there's like everything goes out. But the, the street life was amazing, you know. Um, people on the street, you know, all the time playing, playing music. I've heard it's the best street music in the world. Yeah, playing music, uh, vending, um, ceremony. You know, you would think that that. Religious ceremony would be sort of, uh, you know, behind closed doors, but it's not, you know, there. It's like hmm. they want people to be a part of it. So Kind of like in Bali or Indonesia, how it's so open. With the ceremony-wise, you walk by and you okay. see rituals going on and stuff. Yeah. So it's a, it's yeah. A, I find that to be interesting. It's powerful, too, you know, and the drumming is... Hold this chicken's head. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> how, about yeah. a, how about a Motet Lettuce Cuban run, four or five shows? Just... Oh, in Cuba? Why not? Oh, my God. Is that doable now? Are we at that point? I know the Stones play, but that's a different thing. Yeah, you can book it. You got the yeah. Make it so. If you book it, I'll be there. That'd be insane. I mean, I would love that. I know they have a uh, jazz festival in Havana every year. You Cubans, and we do have Cuban listeners. Step up. Step up. Uh, Can we talk for a minute about Dominic? Dominic Gali. It's amazing to me. He is like you, who came to Colorado. Kind of, you know, he knew people, but kind of just said, I want to live there and started his career. And then right away, everybody, he's sitting with everybody, including the Motet, right? Like well, everybody. No, it wasn't quite like that. He came to Colorado because of us. Um, I'm, we were looking for a horn player and he caught wind that we were looking for a horn player. And he was living in New York at the time, had just graduated uh, Manhattan School of Music. And um, through a friend of his who knew about us, she found out that. We were looking for a horn player. So he came uh, and played a show with us out in New York. 
and we thought he was great. And so we started to fly him out to Colorado, you know, just intermittently as we could. And he would come stay at my house and, and we'd do a run and then he'd go back to New York. And eventually he moved out to Colorado and, you know, the rest is history. But he's also a, 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 was appealing to EDM artists when he ended up getting out to Colorado. I mean, don't you find well, that interesting? That was pre. That was pre EDM. It really was. It's like that was not a scene until a few years later, you know. And I mean, he very pointedly was like, "Oh, I see what's going on here. I can do that. I'm going to do that." And so it was. I think it was less. He was being sort of, um, um, you know, invited by various DJs to come sit in. And then he's like, okay, this works. As it was like, he would go see these shows. And it was like the early stages. Um, and it's like, oh, I can do that. And then he had a concept for how to integrate the saxophone into it. And it seems like he's one of the first guys to to try and put, you know, actual instrument combine it with you know the the dj stuff and now we have grizz doing it and break science and others yeah yeah because yeah, well, well, yeah. thing now yeah now it's a thing, thing yeah. but yeah and he's he's so in it and in in between all the different scenes dominic that is the between the jam scene edm scene merging all that together yeah it's uh it's it's quite, it's quite soupy and you guys know each other <laughs> Um, through a lot of the destination events and jam crews and stuff like that, and one thing that I most like about jam crews is the positive legacy things that they do, and you're you, yeah. you're involved in a lot of that, right? Yeah, yeah. I went to um, Matt Butler's a good friend of mine, and um, everyone orchestra Matt Butler, right? Yeah, and uh, he he brought us out to Jamaica. Actually, it was like the one I that's really memorable for me, and. Um, and we went out and did a positive legacy event with them. Brought a bunch of horns and, and other instruments for the kids at a school. And then played with the and local. They played with them. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, and they, they called the day session. of service. And we're, every time, every uh, every destination event they do, they do one day of service. And and that that was one of them. That was really really big. Yeah, because you can get out on the road and get lost in what the music industry is and all the BS and all that. It, isn't stuff like that important to remind you of why music moves all of us, why how it bridges us, and yeah. doesn't it kind of uh, like refuel you yeah. in your career a little bit? Oh, absolutely. I mean, anything I can do to to like get out of just the sort of regular setup, play show, breakdown, you know, anything I can do to get out of that you know, is really, is refreshing. You know, and we're going to do this similar thing. Are you going to be at holidays? Dominican no, holidays? Holidays this year. Okay. My, uh, it'll be the first event out of all their events that uh, I haven't done. Well, I'm going to complain. You should. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Follow, and and listeners, if you want to follow complaint, uh, yeah. the email address to do that is. <laughs> Vegas says the activities will suck without it. Yeah. Well, that's Vegas. Right. I'm just saying what Vegas said. <laughs> I think I'm doing ping pong, so at least I got something fun to do. Another thing. I, but I think we're going out and doing some of the Yeah, there's legacy. a day of service there as well. So yeah. Positive Legacy does that. And what, it's, not just a, it's not just a music piece. What they do is they actually do a project. So in, in Dominican, they've raised money and they've done uh, built a water filtration system. So a lot of the folks that are working the resorts live in the area and they don't have clean water. So they've, they've, you know, a lot, they've done that. And so when the musicians are going out to do these days of service, sometimes they're working at a school and they're building, helping build a garden or they're helping build a wall or you know, right. in Mexico, they're building a wall. 
but I mean, like around the school. Jeez, and, right. uh, <laughs> and, and so, but no, so there's, <laughs> and they're doing this with the kids and, and the community. And then they do a music element where they're either sharing music or playing with different music. And imagine that'd be really cool though. in the Dominican, if you can get with like a, um, uh, you know, a merengue drummer out there and, yeah. you know, yeah, that would be fantastic. I know that one time they did it, uh, in um, Jamaica, I wasn't on that one, but like some ten-year-old Jamaican kid was playing drums with George Porter and oh, cool. and uh, and yeah. some of the Meters guys and and maybe some of the um, the Whalers. I don't know, but it sounded like a life-changing moment for a kid. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Living out in the hills of Jamaica to have an experience like that. Yeah, man. What about you and George? Have you played with him a bunch? Uh, a little bit. It's called little Jazz bit. Fest. It's called yeah. Jam Cruise. <laughs> yeah, no, he's come out to Colorado. I've played with him a couple times in Colorado. Yeah, because another one of the diversions from your routine is the Super Jams you often host, right? Yeah. And does that mean yeah. you scheme? At, to what extent do you kind of let things happen? And to what extent do you, like, you know, I want you on this song and this song. Like, how directorial is it? I would think that would be a, a tricky thing. Yeah, it's not. Because it's always my friends. You know, like, some guys want to hire, like, all the heavy hitters and... Fortunately, a, a lot of my friends are heavy hitters, so it works out pretty good. But I always want to call my friends and be like, yo, what's up? Let's play some music. You know, I mean, that's how the motet started, really. So, you know, for me, that's the most fun in a super jam situation is looking around the stage and being like, hey, these are all my friends, you know. I bet. But I mean, I wouldn't want to have to say, OK, O'Teal, put the bass down. and We're going to let this guy. Play I man. never tell O'Teal to put the bass down. <laughs> <laughs> See, Ever. that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> that's... Yeah. Now, uh, speaking of that, though, then the motet also is not just put a, performing your own motet material, but you guys are doing these mixtape shows, right? Now, this, is that just a Halloween thing, or is this now a thing that you guys do sporadically throughout the year and other no, gigs? No, we do it at festivals, but honestly, we, we, we'd like to keep it just to Halloween, you know, because uh, I mean, we love doing it, and we love playing all these tunes. I mean, that's really how we've you know formed our sound over the last dozen years is by I mean the history of it is is every Halloween we've covered an artist that's the original history of it you know the very very first one we did was the Beatles but that didn't necessarily stick with us it's not like we played Beatles songs but the following year we played Herbie Hancock mm. and we still play actually we do a Herbie tribute every year me and Joey and some of the other guys but that music stuck with us, and and we realized it at the time. It's like, God, this music is so good, and we love playing it so much. And it's, it's danceable, but it's got jazz influence, and it's funky. And um, so, once we sort of realized how um, good it is for us as musicians and as a band to um, sort of you know go down the rabbit hole of another artist, a whole discography, and then live cuts and all that. Once you try and really study that to be able to bring it to a show, you know, dozen songs, you know, 20 songs from an artist, that's a lot of work. But you really absorb that, you know, that vibe and, and that information. Yeah. Uh, and it, it informs what you, you know, start writing. So we've done a dozen of the more, like 15 of these shows. Oh, wow. Um, Tower of Power, Stevie Wonder, Joy Talk, Talking Heads. Talking Heads. We even did a Grateful Dead one once one year. Um, we've done a, a lot, you know, and so it's definitely uh, part of our sound now. So, like the Talking Heads, you go back to composing. Are you like pushing yourself? Like this isn't interesting enough. I could do something here. Yeah, because yeah. you have that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it, 
it, it, there's many ways which learning another artist's music will sort of teach you how to write, you know, and arrange. It's kind of my forte is arrangement. Um, so we love doing this, that that material, and we love the opportunity to dig into another artist's uh, repertoire. But at the same time, we're really focused on our own music now. So we're trying to actually pull it back and and only do the the mixtape stuff on special occasions, and Halloween being one, of course. Mm-hmm. Were you dragged at all kicking and screaming into the Grateful Dead one? I know that's really <laughs> the, the guitarist and the bassist yeah. that are deadheads, right? Yeah, they've they've they they grew up with it for sure. Um, for me, I never got into it. So uh, the the best part of learning that stuff was the songs themselves not necessarily the performance you know you when you go back and listen to music live music from the 70s that's all a little scrappy or a lot of it's pretty scrappy i don't think they knew they were being recorded Uh, (laughs) certainly it's not like youtube now you have to anticipate that every show is being documented and so you know i go back and look at like old keith moon you know, live footage. I'm like, he had no idea there's a camera on him right yeah. now. And they definitely didn't think that a lot of people would be watching it, you right, know, because, right. you know, you, where would you watch it? You know, you might record it, but like, unless they were making a movie, it's not like YouTube where it's like instantly someone's like posting. Like right now. Like right now. <laughs> It'd have to be on Don Kirshner's rock concert right. or something. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, so it's a little, it's a little scrappy. Some of that stuff's a little scrappy. So, um, uh, well, I mean, does it make it more fun for you when you take a song like New Speedway Boogie and play it like James Brown's band? Does that make it engaging to you where it's not just doing dead covers? It's yeah. like, hey, we're breathing new life into yeah, we this. Had to, we had to do that. Yeah. We had to do that. It seems like now there's a lot more dead cover bands for whatever reason. I mean, it's getting a bit old. It's going to be a bit much. It's, it's just, I mean, it's obvious. I mean, the, the 50, you know, everyone, everyone's around the buzz. and Yeah, yeah fairly well was so Although big. J-Rad is doing a fantastic job. I got to yeah. admit, like, for yeah. reinventing that yeah. sound in a way. Or not reinventing it. What's a better way to describe it? Really it? Well. Yeah, I think they just play they have their own, But they have their own take on it, though. So yeah. it's not so structured to just be the Grateful Dead and trying to you know, Dark Star Orchestra recreate exactly the Grateful Dead. They're, right. they're, they're doing it in their own voice. Yeah. And it's high energy and it's young and the young folks love it. And the young folks love it. But what about, now, let's get back to contemporary motet. So now obviously the new material is is probably in the highest rotation. Yeah, absolutely. But you haven't abandoned your old stuff. Do you, do you, do you find you're now having that stuff trickle back in? And uh, It's so hard to like, once you sort of let a song go, for me it's, it always feels like regressive to... To bring it back into the mix i mean man we have like including our halloween material that we've learned you know it's like 500 songs or something but we still only we're still just like what's the freshest stuff you know we want to play that you know so we're really mostly playing material that we've written in the last three or four years uh, and there's a few tunes in there that we do some of the instrumental music um couple of tunes you know but really it's like we're always looking forward you know for better or worse but it's interesting to me that you you started writing with lyle with established stuff with him putting lyrics now is he having a hand in the lyrics are you composing from the start with him oh, and yeah. do you find things coming out differently is it interesting the way the collaboration has changed or is it kind of similar 
Is it still moving yeah, on? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I feel like we, that whole thing of like us writing as a rhythm section and then presenting the Lyle is worked really well for whatever reason. And we tried to, we're like, oh, well, if that worked that well, if us just writing the songs and then giving it to Lyle and then him coming up with these, you know, the melodies and the words works well, then all of us writing together would be even easier. But it actually seems like we had we were hitting some walls in doing that this year and so we've kind of gone back to like okay the rhythm section gets together we come up with these grooves and these sections and then we send it to lyle and then lyle comes up with his stuff and then we send it to the horns and they come up with their stuff and we kind of layer it in that way and it's Seems to work pretty good. So has post totem material found its way into the into your shows already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're a doing bunch a couple of, of tracks. It's kind of a new day with with releasing tracks because yeah. you know mostly it, you would twenty years ago, fifteen years ago, you'd be like, oh, let's make a record, and you go in the studio and you have to write twelve songs and record them and mix them all at once, you know, and it was just like overwhelming, you know, and and guaranteed some of the material. For us, anyway, because we never have the luxury of, like, spend six months in the studio like some groups might, you know. Um, when you have a record company throwing money at you, it's helpful. So for us, like, for DIY, you know, we, we only have so much time to spend in the studio, so you know, it becomes very stressful to try and put out a dozen songs all at once. So now the paradigm has been go in the, write a song, go in the studio, record it, release it you know write another one go in the studio record it release it you can kind of do it one at a time and then you're not overwhelming your fans with all this material at once you know um so it seems like a pretty good way to to go about it and we've done that with two tracks so far this year which are you doing these tracks i'm sorry rob are you doing these tracks uh live first and then cutting it in the studio or are you just working it out and then presenting it um Combo depends. What's your preference? I like playing it live first, but there's a certain there's a sweet spot, you know what I mean? And if you play it too many times live, you've kind of lost some spark that you might have. Mm. But at the same time you might come up with some arrangement and little right. nuances. To get the spark back. Yeah. There's yeah, and and it's just like and it's also like once you play it in front of an audience, you're kind of like you're gonna need that audience there to feel like it's as good as it was the last time you played it. So you go in the studio and you just raged it in front of like a thousand people, and it's and you're in the studio, and you're like, yeah, no one clapped. <laughs> was that any good? You know. So it yeah, you would it kill you to clap once in a while, Kras? Is Kras is in? Is he still doing the new stuff, or is he too busy? He's no, such a busy he's, guy. Can't keep track of him. He's got, he's got a lot of stuff going on. We're self-producing this one. At this point. What else is on the horizon for 2018 you need to tell us about? I mean, you're doing some shows with Lettuce, right? Yeah, I'm doing all these shows with Lettuce. I can't give you the exact dates. So but, yeah, Dave's uh, going to be doing some rapping with Lettuce. He's this, the Lettuce rap. Wow. This is my life. Man. This is my life. Sorry. Um, what about like collabs, though? I, I have to be on the fan side of the show. And if someone's going, as I said to Adam, as if someone said. goes to see Motet and Lettuce, they're going to want to see people sit in with the other band. Will, will that yeah. be going on every show? Oh, absolutely. Good, good. Tonight good. we're doing with Dobopod. Double Band oh, really? Jam. They're going to like, we've been working our way up to this. We've had uh, Neil sitting on drums, uh, we've had Eli sitting on keys. But um, tonight we're going to have both bands, all our gear set up. 
And so our, sharing lighting guy or well, <laughs> they have a special lighting guy. They do. Uh, yeah, he's excellent. Luke is amazing, and he does sound and lights at the same time. He also has a podcast. Though, has his own podcast. Does yeah. he? And he was doing lights. Who was he doing lights for here? Yeah, uh, thievery. Thievery Corp. Yeah, really? but let's not gloss over this though. So we're going to do a full band transition jam. You're talking about tonight? Yes. Yeah, we're going to have both. No, it's not going to be them to us. It's after at the end of our set, we're going to bring them back out, and we're going to do some special. It's not a transition. Stuff. It's a transmission jam. But yes. that, how many more shows do you have with them, or is this the end? This is it. It's oh. the big finale. Wow. Big finale. Yeah, Rob. Thanksgiving is this week. That's true. That's true. What do you got? You guys have Thanksgiving gigs back home. Uh, I'm going to be in Chicago playing with Marcus over at the Tonic Room. Post string cheese. What are some mu- Saturday? Well, yeah, the Motet. That's another another big thing you guys did. What was it like? Oh my God, New Year's a couple years ago. You was it like two years ago or something? You guys, you flew out like on. You flew out to play with Umphreys and then came back to your gig. It was here in Atlanta. You had the New Year's gig. So like the December thirtieth, oh, yeah. you fly out oh, and play yeah. with Umphreys in Chicago. Oh yeah. And then you come back to well, you know you're like you you're a hard no, worker. We played the show with Umphreys and you sat in with, and him and I sat Chris in with Umphreys and uh, we did that Rage Against the Machine song. Yes, and then awesome. Garrett and I went over to the Concord Music Hall and played with Robert Randolph <laughs> until wow. like 3 in the morning and then we flew out here and did the show here. That's, so yeah, yeah man. just you guys a day in the life you know? yeah. <laughs> no but you can't even be whole home about that like do you stop and smell the roses once in a while and be like damn I've Told done alright you know, when you're in it you're just you know you're swimming you know, and that's uh, trying to figure out where it is or where you are with it otherwise yeah. you're like well congratulations on being able to find your from from taking your roots in Boston to really finding a way to be a musician as a, as your living and your life and Thanks, to man. you know raise a family around that and, yeah I think you got to be tenacious in this biz yeah that's leave us with it. this yeah a musician living musician or a few that you would most like to collaborate with oh. that, with whom you've not yet collaborated ever with oh my god you put me on the spot um, Who knows? Maybe we'll make it happen. The podcast is growing. Well, I mean, we already got you going to Cuba, so <laughs> yeah, you're a good start. You you know, have, thank you, We've got holes that. in Cuba, and the yeah, interview's right. even, not even over. Well, Chucho Valdez. How about that? You know? mm-hmm. Chucho Valdez. Okay. So speaking of Cuba, you know, Herbie Hancock. Mm-hmm. That would be incredible. Um, God, there's just so many, and now I feel like I'm playing favorites. One more, and we'll let you go. <laughs> you're free. Uh, oh, God. Wow. Jocko, but he's dead. Yeah. If you ever are around any member of the Grateful Dead, please show them the arrangement of the new Spadeway Boogie that you oh, guys that, did. I think one? I think they would love that. Yeah, that was not not the at the James diminishment Brown. of anything else, but oh my yeah, god, yeah, the James Brown so new cool. Speedway that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I miss playing that stuff. Maybe we'll play a little snippet of it now. <gasps> but thank you for being here, Dave. Hey, yes, thanks, thank guys. Nice All right. It.
Well, Seth, always good to sit down with a fellow Bostonian. Bostonian. And I'll tell you what, if Shocker reunites and comes east... It's your fault. I mean, it's your... Whatever, you know what I mean. <laughs> no, no, it's that, that was you. a bad plus thing. No, um... <laughs> <laughs> no, um... I would go up to Boston, maybe. I'm, I'm looking to do two more trips to Boston this year, you know? Yeah, and Alfreese isn't playing there? If the if the Bruins advance in the playoffs, one of them might be very soon. <laughs> ah, love the Motet. If you're going to Sweetwater Fest, there... They are Friday, April 20th. On the main stage. one thirty to 3.15. one they They're actually cracking open the main stage. Right. And they were probably offered later... Um, Later sets and side stages to throw down, but, you know, why not play Who the knows? main stage? Why not uh-huh. kick the festival off? What the heck? All right, let's get back to you, Rob. You got three minutes to say three things that you started with in the beginning. <laughs> the first thing is, you know, I watch these videotapes, and I found one of Woodstock. A lot of them are Woodstock. Which, funny thing, the only time my dog ever takes interest in the TV are when I'm watching Woodstock crowd shots and when I'm watching hockey. But anyways, so I'm watching the James Brown set, and it's toward the uh, beginning of the set. James Brown! He has this blonde woman come out and sing, and she's pretty good, you know? And she kind of reminds me of Susan Tedeschi. What I'm year thinking, was this around? Hmm? What, like, what year around? 99. And I know, I just think we're in this music world. We're surrounded by these amazing musicians. I sometimes think we forget how good they are. Because I'm watching this woman who James Brown has selected to bring on the road. And she's up there doing really well. But she doesn't hold a candle to our Susan. And it helps me appreciate... It's like talking to guitarists about Jake from Humphreys, you know? Sometimes you need to be reminded, you know? You, you, see these, you see this music too much, you forget the brilliance. Or maybe take for granted the brilliance that's before you. Secondly. Uh, let's, uh, no, that resonates. That's good. good. Good observation. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for the three minutes, Seth. Um, and then we have... Uh, oh, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this week was Carl Denson, The Bucket of Peaches, as we spoke about earlier in the tour, which was a great show. I love the way he weaves his material in with the Allman Brothers material. We got to sit down and talk with him about that, among other things. We might bump that episode up, like you said. I think that was a good one. Hopefully, this summer we can get an intern and bump up to a weekly. He... We didn't even... T- like. I got into the room before Rob did, and I've known Carl, so we just... We were just... You know, catching up on shit. Yeah, you guys are total buddies. I could tell. Well, that's, but my point on that is that it's catching up with him, and then we start talking about different things. It's like, yeah, let's talk about this. And we got we went deep in politics for like twenty minutes. Rob comes in, we do our show, it's done, and Carl even said he's like, uh, you know, we didn't even get to the stuff we wanted to get to. Rob just, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you all. Rob asked him questions in a very elegant manner about his. Um, he built up to it, and then he talks about his time with the Rolling Stones. But it wasn't. It was probably. I, I'm not Carl, so I can't speak for him. But from my take, it was one of the most interesting observations from from that I've heard of Carl talking about being with the Stones because he gave us an inside look, and he was very humble, and it was just it was, it was and fascinating. I have to say, it's an ultimate example of why I prefer to do these interviews in person because if we had been on the phone, I would not have been able to read him and see that he was very comfortable talking about it, and then go a little further with some of that Stone stuff. Yeah. I would have held back. I in the beginning I got really annoyed with Rob about that. I kind of was like, man, not that ep- episode. I'm talking in general. I was I, I thought, well, I've got access to all these musicians. Let's just call them up. And Rob was very hesitant. Not now. I'm very confident when I talk to a publicist or a manager that wants to do a phone. Or I'm like, nah, no, we do it in person because I would rather wait, uh, sit down, do something truly unique and special. 
get them truly comfortable, then do a 20-minute interview that's you know more likely to be similar to other interviews that are out there. That's the thing. And not to put down anyone that's doing a phone phone or... No, of course. I think great, that... Wonderful phone interviews. I'm just saying, on balance over the course of time. Kind it of thing. took time for me to get on board with that. So thank you for that, Rob. Took time for you to get on board with a lot of things, buddy. Um, but Carl threw down wonderful energy. Seth was let out of the house that night and was able to boogie down and have a good time, right, Seth? Didn't you love it? I did, but you know what? I made a good decision. I left right before Encore, like right before the last song. Right. And I got home. Yeah. And the next day in the afternoon, I got woke up right away at 7 in the morning, did my full day of work. In the afternoon, I talked to some friends that went to the show, and we all had backstage passes and could have hung, and they all went back and hung, and they were all hurting because it was a Wednesday night. And I'm like, you know, school night. I got shit to do. I, I was really proud of myself. I did Wilson kind of a solid. Oh, yeah? What'd you do? Denson was talking to this guy who was a jazz fan, and I was here, and Wilson was there. And Wilson hadn't really met Denson yet, and this guy was kind of dominating Denson's time. But this guy was a really knowledgeable jazz guy and was actually interesting. So I started engaging him and broke him off, which freed Denson to talk to Wilson. Hmm. Boom! That's how you look out for your people, motherfucker. Is that why people always talk to you at shows? Well, I, when I'm backstage, I, I, I'm not looking just to talk to musicians. There's also a lot of people who know a lot about music and are freaky like me. I'm looking for them, too. And this guy, he was cool. He knew his jazz, and he was fun to talk to. And he took down our show info and stuff and he's mm. going to check us out. And for those of you that Rob's spoken to before and have checked us out and are listening, thank you. Yes, thank you for listening. We really, truly, truly mean that. So that so, was number two. What was number three? Well, well kind of, they kind of melded. The, and also Yola Tango last night was wonderful. You, you go in, the, the first set was the quiet set. The first 20 minutes, the entire room was silent. Okay? Silent. And this is Terminal West. This is more of a bar than a theater. It's not a sit-down room, yeah. And, you know, the, the whole first set, and, and, and there was no stopping. Everything was segued into each other. It kind of, kind of started like Sonic Youth, like ambient stuff, but then moved into their songs. Second set started quiet again, and then suddenly slamming. <laughs> it was just so awesome. And the two shows, I had experiences that provided uh, extremes of venue staff behavior. Because at Denson, we had a friend, a friend of all of ours, who, who documents these shows, who was in the front row, with a, with a recording thing, bands, he had the band's permission, he had the fans were loving him, nobody's being blocked, there was no danger. And before the encore, one of the, one of the security guys, I think his name is Jeff, comes over and starts chewing him out because of something from some other night, going on and on and on, and, and then it seemed like he made his point, he keeps going on and on, he's just like hammering a guy we treasure. And I think if you're going to book these shows, if you're going to book taper-friendly bands, realize that the tapers fuel the entire thing. The audience wants the show recorded. The artists want the show spread to demonstrate that they put on varied performances. You can't go to one show and learn that about an artist. You learn that from assimilating from various recordings. So taper-friendly venues don't hassle tapers unless the band or one of the audience members asks them to. You don't take it upon yourself. So next night, I'm at Terminal West, a a venue where often the bartenders are allowed because they're trying to get their job done. They had been asked... To quiet down because you know Yellow Tango Play was in this tour was playing particularly quietly. They did. They really made an an effort. If there was anything distracting from the music, there were points later in the first set and in the second set where people were talking a little bit, but not not the staff. Terminal West, you you are slowly becoming my favorite Atlanta venue. Just another great thing about Terminal West. Not to mention the fact they let him in the doors, unlike his former favorite venues. But we won't get there, Rob, will we? <laughs> Band. Uh, 
All right, buddy. What do we got coming up? We got Sweetwater Fest. Come see us at Sweetwater Fest. If you're there, Rob, myself, the, RJ from the Osiris will be at the 419 tent with an Osiris table, as well as the charity auction there. And if you want me to look again, for the belly, can... if you want Seth, just listen. His voice will be echoing through the festival somewhere at some point. Don't forget, please pick up your phone right now and text 420fest to 24700 or go to 420fest.auction-bid.org. Check out all the stuff, bid, raise money for charities, and get really cool stuff. We'll see you guys there. If we don't see you there, we'll see you at Inside Out. Yeah, we got another live one coming, and now you can, we do? You could not do anything. Just stay right there, keep listening, and we're going to take you to Red Rocks just last summer. Now I want to see those hips dip, swip, and move just a little bit lower for me. Come on. The show fight of this made less But in the age of craziness Things move so fast But when we mess it around We forget about the try to truth We're falling away from the day to day From loving you So now you just slow it down And take a little time to see The next goal that screen and there ain't no stress on me to be anybody else but you cause we're the kings and queens so but we gotta be present to rule come on y'all back it up we're taking a time to love come on let's hang back it up we're taking a time to love well there ain't no doubt that we can't sing get knocked out we get up and sing got to take a So we can find direction To get some peace of mind